Hello, this is Scott Humphrey, and I've been dealing with the East Side Sun since 2018. Third Degree the Podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90, your source for FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. Check out the new arrivals dropping daily. Gear from leagues around the world, Fresh Serie A, Premier League, Bundesliga, and of course, MLS and FC Dallas club merch available now. Remember, Third Degree listeners get 20% off at Soccer90.com with promo code Third Degree. Some exclusions may apply. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another episode. I believe this is numbered 160 of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, it's me, Peter, and here is my favorite Englishman, Dan Crook. Howdy, Dan. Uh... Hello. Good day. You sound enthusiastic, energized, and ready to pod. Wow, I'm a really great liar in that case. Uh, nah, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's, as Buzz would say, kiss this pig, which I still okay. don't get. And speaking of Buzz, your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, editor and founder of ThirdDegree.net, the awesome Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter. Still getting over the hangover of an MLS team winning the CONCACAF Champions League. Ah, yes. The mighty Seattle Sounders have done it. We'll talk about that in quite some detail and even offer some opposing views of that particular value of winning that championship here later in the pod. But we should start with the guys from the little town of Frisco, Football Club Dallas. And here we are once again. I feel like we start every episode uh, having a conversation about the context of the result and I feel like we add a new version of this of these weird feelings. And this one is the man. This is a result on the road that you're always happy to get, but man, it feels like a loss kind of result, doesn't it, Buzz? Yeah, context always matters, uh, Peter. You know that. And in this particular case, uh, I think everybody around the team is going to be disappointed that they didn't get this result. I, I you know, I asked Coach. You know, given you know, if you if you had a philosophy of getting a, a point on the road ahead of the time, you might have thought, okay, great, I'll tie in Kansas City, that's fine. And he stopped me and he said, no, no, we went there thinking we were gonna we could win this game. So forget about the fact that we were winning. <laughs> we thought going in we should be able to win this game. So we're definitely disappointed that we got the result we got, and they should be, frankly, based on both the way they played and the where the two teams are in the standing. So, um, you know, again, it's not a loss, but you're not gonna feel great about this one. All right. Now, Buzz, your three, uh, your instant reaction, three things video, I found interesting because you were, you were unusually positive in your three things. Was I? I felt like it was about like normal. <laughs> I think I even had a negative uh, bullet point on the third one. There. I thought you were, I thought your three were all, I, I, for all the weird things and the things you could be angry about as a fan, I was interested in the fact that you seem to pull some rather lighthearted things out of it or, or yeah. positive-minded things. Well, um, I, I thought Alan Velasco's goal was definitely worth talking about. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, uh, the negative that I have was this is the first time I disagreed with Coach's lineup choice. Uh, we could talk about some of that, why that is a little bit later. I, you know, I thought uh, Evan Surio should start this game. Um, his progression, I think, would be more more better, <laughs> would be better against Kansas City because 
going in, if you know enough about Kansas City, you know Kansas City doesn't high press. They mid press. They they make a block across the middle of the field and make it very difficult for you to get across the, the middle section of the park to get into the final third. So to me, like Edmund's progressive play, I think would have been really good there. So that's that was my big negative on this game. Um, you know, I, th- I think for the most part, the way the reason I was so positive is because I didn't feel like Dallas was outplayed. I thought Dallas, for the most part, played fairly well. You know, they just didn't get the result they wanted, partially because of the red card and partially just because of other various you know, things like the, the, the referee's insistence that only Dallas players get yellow cards. I'm not usually one to complain about referees. I usually think the game is the game and you have to adapt and deal with it, you know? And so given that adversity, I thought relatively speaking, it was a pretty good performance short of the fact that they didn't actually win the game. All right, Dan, you wrote up another one of your post game reviews. Why don't you fill in everybody with your thoughts on the, on the performance in the game? Well, there was a game that lasted 90 minutes, 22, then 21 guys kicked balls around. Um, yeah, it's one of those sporting Kansas City, especially away, is always such an interesting game because the players have that rivalry. You know, SKC hates the, you know, Dallas seems to have had a, a better record up there of late. And, and you know, it's, it's, it, it got very choppy, and I don't think uh, Nima Sagafi really helped matters there, um, kind of allowed it to. Uh, maybe deteriorate a little more than it should have, but ultimately Dallas just didn't adapt the way you'd hoped them to. Um, the defense, again, you know, without Matt Hedges, looked kind of ropey. Um, Martinez had some great moments. He also had some god awful moments. Uh, Nikosi Tafari had, I don't know, his. Um, not not playing for a while has definitely hurt him. Um, you know, we're watching quite a few wayward passes. Or statistically not terrible, but, you know, there'd be like the weird one that you put out for a throw and you're like, well, what are you actually trying to do there? Um, you know, and then that kind of prompts the discussion of looking further back at like Bartlett and Quinones and, and who else is coming through because this team lives and dies by hedges and you, you want to say maybe uh maybe maybe that was a, a almost a, a a bigger loss than uh, a certain mr brandon savania an hour into the game tafari's performances uh so far this season have been shockingly um reflective of how he looked when he started uh, last season, early in the season, I thought. Because one of the things I think we talked about here on this podcast and other people pointed out, Steve pointed out during this ge- uh, game, during his uh, game analysis on television, was exactly what you mentioned, Dan, which was his passing out of the back, which got incrementally better as the season went on last year. But it is shockingly poor. Like, I remember us having a conversation at the beginning of last season, and I feel like he's back at this level where we kind of looked at each other and went, is he really MLS level ready or even capable of it? And and sure enough, we all fell in love with him and realized he had it. But Buzz, I can't figure out what has happened. Is it just frankly just not getting game time? Because it's really, really bad. Yeah, he 
uh, I've been noticing in the last month or so, some not great body language from him, uh, in training, you know, you can tell when guys are discouraged. I definitely think he's discouraged. You know, it was very clear. I think I tweeted at halftime. I cleared, I tweeted the passing map out and there was a total disconnect from him to uh, Faco. There was like zero passes getting completed out of that. He was going all the way to EMR or only to Martinez, basically like right or left. Um, now, part of it was that Faco was positioning on top of Martinez a lot because they were attacking that gap. But, um, you know, Coach was very adamant that the passing in the back particularly was not good enough. Um, and that I, at first I thought perhaps Faco was not providing himself enough, you know, which is where, like, I wanted uh, Edmund to be in there for that progression. But um, Coach was very adamant that um, Faco was putting himself in really good positions. He just wasn't getting the ball. And to follow up on that, this week in training, at least the day I was there, um, Martinez, Quinones, and Bartlett, not Martinez, excuse me, uh, Tafari, Martinez, I keep saying Martinez, that's not right. Excuse me. Tafari, Bartlett, and Quinones, too many Spanish names for me, Mount Gringo can't handle it. Um, Those guys all did extra passing work, you know, moving the ball around the back and trying to find the midfielder. So there clearly were some deficiencies that they weren't happy with. So... I don't think there's any doubt that Tafari is not playing anywhere near the level he was. And if he doesn't find himself and find his game again, then he's going to get passed by because I think top to bottom, the one of the other things I tweeted in this game was the rising stock of Matt Hedges, because when he's out, this team's a mess because I would have said Martinez is a weekly against center back and Tafari is not providing a good enough option. And Bartlett, we've talked about to death how he's not good enough and Quinones has just gotten here and he doesn't really yet show that he's competing to win that spot either. So um, they got four question marks and one great guy, and that's not good enough. I also, and then I guess we should also talk because he, as you mentioned, Buzz, the starting lineup was an unusual uh, set of choices. Um, in Zebeling playing in the middle of the field, which, you know, we've talked about a lot here and there have been when he comes in for cleanup has played pretty well but I'm a little curious about your thoughts about his overall play in this game I thought he was okay um you know his his energy makes up for a lot of his deficiencies the amount of ground he covers in particular I thought he was fouling uh way too much in the first half yet he think he had three fouls committed in the first half which is what he finished with so he he definitely cleaned that up a little bit I'm sure somebody talked to him um, he was being overly aggressive, but, um, you know, he's not, he only won 22% of his duels, which isn't very good, you know, but so essentially he's making positional mistake reads like he's in the wrong place or he's reading the game wrong and his energy and movement makes up for that. And he recovers and he gets himself in a different, decent position. He is a, he's pretty good at progressive dribbling. Like once he gets it, he's got a little quick burst that he can move away from a guy and get it, you know, 10, 15 yards off the field before he makes a pass. And he passed at a pretty good clip. I mean, 86% is not bad for a guy that's more advanced in the midfield a little bit. He's not a holder. So, you know, kind of a mixed bag, not, not tip top, but you're looking at a guy that's making his first ever start. You know, and, and the deficiencies that he had are what we expected coming in to this start. I wasn't expecting him to start. I just mean what I was expecting to see when he started. And it was exactly like I was expecting. And I think it was good enough that with Brandon being out, I'm sure we'll see him again. So um, lots of pieces to like. It's just, you know, the performance of a rookie. It just looked like a rookie. Okay. And then that uh, that's a good t- uh, segue to the penalty kick. Because I, 
I was really disappointed that Martinez gave that up because if you're talking about a rookie mistake, if I remember the incident correctly, I was I was a bit disappointed and a little surprised that he got himself in that situation, considering his veteran status. Yeah, you know, the contact wasn't that heavy, but if when you come in on a guy from behind in the penalty box when he's already got the ball and is looking to try and turn, you know, if you're lucky, you're going to get that cleanly. But if you're even a least bit unlucky, he's going to either score or go down, and, and that's what you got. You know, I, I don't know that the initial pass in, there's a whole lot he can do about it, but he definitely is late and doesn't and gets more of the player than he gets of the ball. And, the and the you know, there's enough contact there that I, I can't complain about the PK. You know, it, it's not it's not a hard one. You know, he didn't he didn't really get him, but got him enough, you know, and, and that slowness, that that split second delay, that split second not fast enough by feet from Martinez is what the weakness is with him. You know, his, his strong suit is his awareness of the way the coach wants to play and his ability to pass and connect and build out of the back. That's why he's in there over to And, but yet there's so many ways he's still deficient for me. There are two really nice goals for Dallas in this game. Uh, and obviously Jesus uh, takes a very Jesus opportunity and, and makes magic out of it. But man, as you mentioned earlier, um, Velasco's free kick goal was great, if only because. I, I, now I'm gonna I'm gonna just say this up front. I do think that Velasco's goal is more about some really horrible goalkeeping decisions, uh, but Velasco still has to put it in the right place. But watching Allen line that up, and actually you could see his eyes light up when he sees the giant space. <laughs> that Tim Melia's left for him uh, to shoot into uh, with the close-up shot just prior to the free kick. Uh, and and it was beautifully well taken, so credit to him. Yeah, the replay from behind the goal is fabulous, the, the one that Dallas' uh, media guy shot. Um, you know, that's a hard – there is definitely back keeping there, but that's still a very small angle to hit. You know, you have to get it up and then back down and under the bar. So that's not an easy shot, even though the keeper does make a mistake. Uh, but it is just gorgeous. That's a class goal. It's like that kind of skill is why people get super excited about him. You know, there are things about his game that are, are clearly still a 19 year old kid, but it's, it's the, those moment of pure ability that just gets you so excited. It makes people excited to watch him. Dan, did you have any hot sports opinions you'd like to throw in here so far, sir? You're being awfully quiet. I am. I am. Um, no, I think, um, one thing I'd, I'd covered, I thought there were a lot of st just stupid, needless fouls. Um, Brendan Savania being obviously two of them. Um, yeah, we talked about Siki and uh, the, the three fouls. There were such cheap giveaways, uh, particularly the uh, the one he got the yellow card for in the end, just kind of lunging at the guy when the ball's already gone. Savania doing the same when he's already on the yellow, and then you see that visible moment when he realizes, oh, shit, I already got one. Um, but yeah, I think I'd highlight the video, like four of them, all of them yellow cards. Like there was, you know, Ima Tumasi giving up the ball in the corner for a really nice position for a, a free kick, uh, essentially a, a corner 10 yards in. Um, I just think, you know, you go on the road, especially you without a big defensive piece and you've got to be tighter than that. You can't, you know, you can't just give up free opportunities there. 
you know, I come away from this game being frustrated because it felt like a real opportunity to get a road three-point win against a team that is not very good. The game kind of played itself out to your favor despite not playing well. Um, and then, you know, ultimately, <clears throat> maybe there is a silver lining to this. You got to rest a couple of guys. You got to give some time to some guys that aren't getting a lot of uh, a lot of minutes. Uh, and you did get the road point, which, you know, as a general rule, is a, a good thing instead of uh, obviously losing. But this continues to be a, a, a concerning ongoing trend about this team long term, I think, Buzz, which is... Nico Estevez's desire to fix the defensive things have come at the cost of the, of the attack. And while they've been relatively good at converting the few opportunities they make, uh, and this is reflected in the stats, because if you look at goal creation oppor- uh, opportunities over 90 minutes, FC Dallas is actually pretty good. They're uh, within the top uh, one, two, three, four, five. They're eighth in the league with 2.67 over the course and uh, average over course of 90 minutes. But when you look at shot creation actions over 90 minutes, Dallas is only Toronto and Nashville are worse than they are at 15.11. And just to put that into perspective, NYCFC is first with 27 uh with 27.1. Yeah, the the, tr- the trick is, as you say, the efficiency. You know, Dallas has 14 goals for, which is actually fourth in the Western Conference. So it, it is all about that efficiency, really. Um, that's what's keeping them in the top half of the table. Okay, but is that yeah. but but does that mean they're good? Because what I, I – I mean, I guess it's hard for me to watch these games and come away with this idea – it's kind of like the same argument people are making about Austin. Austin hasn't played anybody really hard is the is the narrative we keep hearing. Although I still think, you know, being where they are is uh, you know, an accomplishment accomplishment up to their uh, to themselves. But when I watch Dallas play, it's a little bit boring. It's not a lot of creativity. They're not really good getting the I mean they really finish their chances, but I I really am having a hard time squaring where I think this team is. Yeah. But I also feel stupid because, it, by the, according to the standings, they're doing way better than any of us expected they would be. Yeah, uh, there, there's something to be said for being an efficient team. It is nice, you know. It, what you worry about, of course, is when your guys go cold. How good are you going to be when if if they get cold? You know, if you're not creating volume chances. And I guess the, the, the big takeaway is that um, this sort of is the game plan, right? We're talking about a coach who has set up a system. Not he's not saying this. We're just saying this by watching this team play. They're setting up a system that's designed to kill the game, right? They're killing the opposition chances. They're killing a lot of the game, particularly on the road. They're going long stretches in a defensive stance. And then, you know, 15, 20 minutes, 30, 25 minutes left, then they start to go for it, you know, and then they count on their ability to get opportunities of a high result, uh, you know, options of a high result. And they're capitalizing on those with efficient shooting, on goal, you know, even when they don't necessarily score, they still have a good shot on target to shots ratio. They're not blasting wildly. So, yes, I, I do worry that, you know, if Jesus goes cold, where are they? But at the same time, this is the way that they're designing the play to be. So 
it's it's a balance there. You're right. The of I don't should I be worried that this team doesn't seem particularly dynamic? They don't seem exciting. They're not flashy. They're not doing all these crazy things and getting these shots off. They're just shutting the game down, limiting the other team to, you know, seven goals for, which is literally tied for the least in the uh, Western Conference with LA Galaxy. Uh, and they're fourth in goals four. So it's like in, in every in the real things that matter, goals scored and goals allowed, they're right there, you know. But we always say, right, you have to analyze the whole thing. And I do have concerns like you do about the number of chances they are creating. But that's what it's going to come down to is like, can you keep that efficiency going? And the, the only what the positive I would t- take away from this right now is that they did spend – the first part of the year all on defense. And, you know, and it was about three weeks ago that coach told me they were going to start working more and more on offense. So, um, you know, they're, they're mixing in new formations they're mixing in new designs and new methods of build, you know, so um, they are working on it as well. So far, cross your fingers that it keeps going the way it's going. Yeah. I was, you know, if you're one of those people making a, a defense of Austin's situation, and I certainly, the Austin fans are, always rubbed the wrong way when anybody questions uh, the the teams they've had to play i should only i i think it's it's not unfair for dallas fans to look at them and pat them on the head and say <laughs> if you only knew what it's like to start hot in a season and watch <laughs> it crash and nosedive into the ground we totally get it especially when max rudy is is part of that uh well matt arudy's the one is uh you know arudy's part of that whole story for them uh, i had tweeted out a because this really got i got to thinking about this the other day about max and his hot starts and he just goes cold uh, did you see the tweet with the stats that i put up yes like, i did yep. the, the average goals before july and then him absolutely just going into antarctic mode uh after july well that's yeah. you you just want you just you just know all right, Austin fans, hold on, because historically he's going to shut up shop uh, when it starts getting hot. So, But with Dallas, it does feel like, okay, maybe they're not playing super great and we're a little bored by the style. It does feel like a longer, more con- a, 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 a more consistent level of performance that they can ride out over the course of the season and improve on the part of the game that I think we all get a little frustrated by. Yeah, you know, defense, a good defense is always going to be some give you a relatively positive amount of results you know um if you keep the other team from scoring as basically platinly obvious as this sounds you're going to give good results you know if nothing else you're going to get ties instead of losses you're going to eke out wins instead of ties this is the oscar pareja method in a lot of ways if you think back to his teams there's a lot of ties that weren't losses and even if you go back to 2010 that Shellis Hyman season they got to MLS Cup, they had like 15 ties that year or something. So, you know, there's not the, the, the cliche of the defense wins championships is a cliche for a reason, you know, because you, you get into the top half of the table when your defense doesn't keep the other team from scoring. Yeah. So, yeah, I totally agree, by the way, you know, in the, in the context of the big season, you know, do we worry about the Dallas offense? Absolutely. Right now it's all Jesus in terms of production. So, you know, there are other guys that are creating all these goal-scoring opportunities. Velasco, Obreon, uh, Ariola, Paxson. These guys are all helping create these goal-scoring opportunities, but it's all coming from Jesus. When he's gone, what's his team look like? If he dries up, what's his team look like? Those are really important questions, and it's the reason why I don't think any of us would say, 
this is the best in the West team. I mean, they're in a good position. You have to like their position and they're going to grind it. But like, do you think they're as good as LAFC or Seattle? I certainly don't, you know, they're not that top tier yet, but um, just compared to last year, it's light years better in so many ways. Yeah. Uh, I think if you think of the three Texas teams, Austin is the one that I, I think you can make an argument that they're overperforming. Dallas is the one that is the bit of a mystery team, and Houston is the one that's just not very good, um, period. Yeah, all of Austin's results, not, not to make this about Austin, but all of Austin's results come against teams that are like in 12th and 13th place or lower. They have one good result against a good team, and that's Minnesota in sixth. All the rest of their wins are over teams that are crap. So it's you know, now some of those teams are crap because they're going to conquer Champions League, like Seattle. Yeah. But, but still, what's what was it? Parcells used to say, "Your your record is you are who your record says you are." So, you know, I, I listen. Austin is much much better. Houston yes. is better. You know, Dallas is better. Uh, I mean, how much good? I don't, none of those teams are going to be compete for the Western Conference. Good. They're all just on their on their journey to being better, and the long season is going to take a toll on. But all three of those teams. Well, Austin is outperforming their XG by uh, a, 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 an astronomical rate. So their XG is just a little over 15, and they've hit 21 goals. So um, that historically, is, as best I understand XG, and Dan, you're kind of this guy, that is inevitably a sign for a, a downturn here sooner than later. Um, I'm, I'm that kind of guy. I thought you um, loved XG. No, that was Armand. Oh, no, I, I, uh, I get you and Armand mixed up all the time. I, You're so similar. <laughs> it's the resemblance. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> no, nah, I'm not a, I'm not a great lover of XG because it takes the context out of it. I will say like statistics, you know, when you look at it, it does kind of line up with the averages of how many goals, you know, I think, uh, Dallas is what, like on a 11 and a half and 12 or something along those lines. But, you you take the quality of the chances away, the context of what the defense looked like, and you kind of just, I mean, you you just yeah, you know, it's it's just throwing shit at and seeing what sticks. Yeah, I, I'm uh, the only reason why I keep bringing up Austin is I'm just trying to put into context my feelings about the season so far, and just trying to get a sense of is Dallas as good or better or worse than their record tells me, and then just trying to make that a comparison against another team. And Austin, because they've just had such a fabulous start to the season, which is so different to how they were last season, I just think they're an interesting uh, uh, comparative to each other in trying to suss out where you think this thing's headed as we get into summer and then fall. That's all, Buzz. Yeah, I, I, I think Austin's offense is much better than their defense, obviously. They've got 22 goals for and 14 against. And Dallas's defense is better than their offense when the head just is healthy so, or available. He wasn't out because if he's hurt, he was out because he a baby. Congratulations, Matt Hedges, of course, on the second baby. <laughs> uh, so, you know, th- those are... Very, those those teams are fascinating to me in terms of what's going to hold up. Uh, you know, to, I, I almost always would rather a team be better defensive than offensive. Um, Austin's probably a lot more exciting to watch than Dallas is. I have to admit that Dallas is often fairly boring to watch this year, you know, with their kill the game sort of vibe. Now, here's the reality. What 
uh, Nico cannot afford to have happen is what happened in Kansas City, which was very unlike him. In fact, I found this shocking. I mean, if this had been Cerio, I would have believed it. But Brandon Cervania getting subbed in late and rolling out a double yellow and getting ejected as quickly as he did that bothered me for a lot of reasons and I can't I, I'm I'm going to assume and hope that this is just a one-off deal but it also made me wonder if there was something else going on there because that was about the most dumb shit thing I've ever seen Brandon Savania do yeah I, I don't know if anything else is going on he obviously uh not obviously but he apologized to his team the next day and coach said that you know, that they did have a conversation about it. You know, some lessons I think teach themselves, you know, you don't, that's one where I think it's the player is almost always going to take that away, you know, the right lesson away from that and know that he can't be doing things like that. But um, I, 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 without having spoken to Brandon, I don't really know what I could tell you about his mindset in that moment. Of course it was a game where they chose to rest him. I don't think there's anybody that would tell you that Siki has outplayed him and you know was was in there because Siki's you know stolen that spot by any means. Um, you know, I, I think Brandon definitely was just being rested. But you know, there there have been coaches in the past that would take that kind of performance and would bench a guy for that. I don't I don't think this is that kind of coach. Other than the game, he's going to have to sit now. Obviously, it obviously makes him available for the Open Cup game on Tuesday, which is nice. Um, so I, I think Brandon will take a lesson from it and 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 be able to. He'll just look, get the one game suspension, correct? Yeah, it won't be anything extra. I mean, look, Brandon is still a young kid. You know, there, there's still a lot to learn for him and for uh, all of these young midfielders that Dallas is playing so many of. You know, I, I don't I don't think that there's. I don't think this says anything about Brandon other than what we already, you know, knew about, <laughs> knew about him. Okay. Yeah, he, he does have uh, a fair number of more yellow cards than other people. You know, he, this he's up to four now, and Evan has three, as you say. But those two kids are carrying a heavier load than they've ever carried before. You know, their minutes have gone way up. There's a big load on them. You know, there's a big work effort on all of them, too. Paxton has more experience in, in with this level of workload than the other two guys do. So um, I think it's all part of the growing process. I'm not concerned about Brandon for, by any means. All right, just to put a bow on this, Dan, since you didn't really get a chance to express your opinion, should fans of the team uh, come away from the Kansas City game feeling like, hey, uh, a bunch of guys got time, we got to rest some guys, and you got a result, or B, should they be disappointed that they kind of brain farted it away? Um, I think they should come away with a feeling of confusion that being eight games unbeaten is not necessarily an amazing thing hmm okay uh, i like that opinion you would you like to expand on it a little bit well i mean you think if you look back at the uh at the games you've got uh pull the games up because my memory sucks um i mean that's an oil competition so that includes tulsa which you know um you know you've had a good you had a start off with a couple of good performances after that lost to new england uh Chicago away, whatever, you know, coasted past Colorado. That weird, weird little away spell uh, in at Red Bulls where you really felt they should have potentially won it, but also should have got blown out. Um, Houston, the amazing turnaround. I mean, you can't, you can't quite uh, 
describe the high of that, and then it, it is, it's another away game where you're like, it was, it was a point, could it have been more? Uh, it's just, you know, there was so much put into the, the start of the season being so terrible. And, you know, you mentioned Austin in the same kind of position as you look back and you're like, well, you know, didn't play the best teams. And, you know, you're now in this, riding this eight-game unbeaten run. I really, I think I'd said in one of those takeaway things before Houston, you really want the statement win. Okay, I don't think the comeback from, from against Houston is a statement win, but it's certainly, uh, you know, a, a great, you know, coming from behind in those circumstances was was something you could at least, you know, hang your hat on a little bit and you really wanted that away win. You've had a series of teams that are not good at home and you failed to beat any of them. Uh, now you get to go to LA Galaxy. You get to go to Vancouver. As bad as they are, it's always a hard place to go. You get to go to Orlando. You get to go to Austin soon. You get to go to LAFC soon. You know, you've... you've there could be a, a point where you're looking back on these games like, ah, oh, yeah... Getting that momentum on the road and getting a you know a win or two would have been uh, would have been a great great kickstart to the season. Yeah, four of six in May are on the road, so it's going to be a tough month. We're going to find out a little bit more about this team and its resiliency with that kind of level of you know part of that's the Open Cup game too, of course. But um. funny enough, uh, Austin's um, Austin's upcoming games more or less uh, mirror Dallas's. I think they have. LA Galaxy twice, they have LAFC, both have Orlando, I think both may have uh, Vancouver, oh, Dallas does twice, uh, Dallas plays Minnesota, who uh, Austin have played, so I mean, and then, yeah, it's uh, it, it's going to be that kind of interesting, it'll be the next eight games, you'll kind of look back and see, you know, what was the trajectory of both teams from, from where they were. Okay. I want to switch gears. Seattle is up Saturday, and I want to put that on pause here for a second because there's a much larger conversation about Seattle that I want to have. Uh, but first, Buzz, you did go to practice this week. Anything yeah. in particular about practice that we should get into prior to talking about Saturday's match? Well, Chris Richards was there, and that's always really fun. Uh, okay, hold uh, up. Yeah. <laughs> we got to stop for a second. We okay. have a conversation about Mr. Chris Richards. Yeah, what do you, what do you want to talk about? I want to talk about that photo of Chris that you posted on these social medias. Yeah. Has Chris gone full Euro on us? Oh, you're talking about the sweater around the neck? Yes. Yeah, he, he carried it around for a while, and then he then he put it around his neck. I think he got tired of carrying it. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's more of a New England thing than a European thing. Uh, no, here in the United States, we consider that very European, and I'm surprised he wasn't walking around with his pinkies out holding a little <laughs> little okay. cup of I cappuccino can, or something. I can safely say I've seen it more in New England than I have in Europe. Dan, that's what I was this getting. is about <laughs> stereotypes and, uh, <laughs> cliches? Yeah. and cliches. It has nothing Listen to do with here, reality you loud, or truth. brash Americans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe you don't wear the sweater around the neck in Luton, but I'm telling you, in most of Europe, Europe they do. So at least as where I come from, that's how we believe. <laughs> so it's true. Well, let's let's talk about the important parts about Chris Richards being here. Is that I did ask him for sure if it was a secret that he was here, and he said no. So that was why I felt comfortable putting it out. Um, I, I have no idea why he's here, but he is here. And as this often is the case with ex-players, they drop by training. Uh, Wes McKinney does almost every time he's in town. 
um, Academy guys do. You know, Brian Reynolds was here like two weeks ago and he dropped by. They, they all do it. Um, now, when they sometimes they want to use the facilities they want to use. In this case, Chris was inside using some kind of facility. I didn't ask him what he was doing. But when that happens, FC Dallas gives them training gear to wear both as a courtesy, but also, I assume, because uh, security may or may not know who they are, the security of the building. And so if you're going to be walking around the building and using the equipment, you just need to wear gear so people know who that you're supposed to be there. So that's basically how that works. Um, so you should not read anything into the fact that he was here and you should not read anything into the fact that he was wearing an FC Dallas shirt. This is very normal. It happens all the time. And I had people ask me instantly, like in messaging me, Oh my God, is he coming? No, no, stop. It's just, he's just home for a couple of weeks for whatever reason. Uh, but it was cool to see him. And he's obviously, you know, in great spirits when I talk. I'm to sorry. Him. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you mentioned this, he's got a pretty significant injury that ended his season. He's got like a torn quad or something, right? Yeah. I, I did not mention it because I don't actually know. I didn't bother to look it up. I don't follow Chris like on a day-to-day basis. I assumed that he was hurt that the wilds would have uh, en- enough that they let him go home. I mean, they don't do that unless you can be out for a while. I just wasn't going to speculate. Cause I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I'm pretty, I, I'm, unless Dan knows, I, I, it may not be a torn quad. It's some sort of significant leg injury or muscle injury or tear uh, that I remember that being announced a couple weeks ago that his season was over. Yeah. It's, it's fairly normal for guys that are out a long time to come home like that and visit family. And, and, and obviously in the case of Chris, you know, he's, they're even letting him do his own work here with, I'm sure that his club is in daily contact and all that stuff. That's the way Dallas would do it too. So it's pretty standard stuff, but it was just fun to see him out there. And then Lucci Gonzalez was the other guy that was out of training. Uh, I did not get a chance to say hello to him. I, I texted him afterwards like, coach, you ran off, but he, um, he, he told me that I presumably, I guess he still lives in town here. Cause he said he comes out every couple of weeks. I have not noticed him out before. And, but he definitely had a notepad in his hand and obviously watching training is something that the new, the national team assistant coaches do, whether they're taking notes on how to better their themselves or getting ideas for drills or taking notes on players, all of that can be true. You know, uh, he and um, uh, coach uh, Estevez talked one-on-one for about 10 minutes after training, you know, so weird. Yeah. They're so weird, but it's all the same. The pro coaching pool is very small, you know, and and you know, from him, Lucci taking a job under bear halter that bear halter considers him like one of his guys in a sense, you know, that he was willing to take him on this way after he just been let go by Dallas. So, um, you know, Lucci's always working really hard at his own self-education, his own progression. So I'm not surprised to see him out there. I know. It's just weird that the two guys are the guys that essentially, not essentially, just swapped jobs. Yeah, yeah. That's what's weird. I mean, they obviously get along. You know, they stood together and chatted and, you know, and talked well, back and They kind of have for, to. Yeah, I mean, you do have to, <laughs> but, um, you know, there wasn't any bad body language going on or anything. You know, there was the handshakes and all that stuff. So it looked perfectly normal to me, you know. It was just nice to see Lucci back out there. That was cool. All right. And uh, under here on the run sheet in red crayon oh. under practice report, it does say Seeky also after Chris and Lucci. Yeah, it does actually because um, his body language was amazing and his performance was amazing in training. And it's, I even talked to Coach about it. Uh, you know, he was like, he agreed. He's like, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's like the, the confidence that he got from that game, from getting a start, just lifted him. And you could just see it. He was so vivacious and so on top of the game and performing above what he I'd ever seen him perform from in training all because he got that game. And even if it wasn't like a lights out gangbusters game, it was pretty good for like a first ever game. And it immediately lifted him. 
you know, it just, it, he was just really bright and active and did a couple of good things. And everybody was like, ah, oh, Ziki, yeah, good job. You know, it's just, you know, a guy everyone likes and it's noticeable. Remember I said that I've been seeing bad body language in Tafari, you know, yeah. like lately Ziki's the opposite. His body language in this, uh, that on this week was so lifted and buoyant from that game and Tafari's was so negative you know even in training just in training just like just even though he he got he also got a start yeah right Hmm. that's the thing it's because I think they can tell whether they did good or bad by their own perspective you know and whether they feel like it's a performance they can build on it players know they're not dumb you know they they recognize whether they do good or bad you know and and just to see a guy's whole countenance and everything about him was bright and lifted and joyous because he'd had a relatively good game it was just remarkable, you know, um, or, uh, from the, the difference between a week ago to this week for him was big, you know, and hopefully he can carry that forward. I'm sorry. I meant to, I, I need to go back a little bit <clears throat> to the Kansas City game, and maybe this is something you can talk about from training, but the one thing about the Kansas City game that we didn't talk about, we did mention Velasco's amazing free kick for the goal, which was great. Don't get me wrong, and I don't mean to minimize it by the goalkeeper's shoddy positioning. But I do feel like we need to once again, and maybe I'm harping on the negative, and I don't mean to be that way, but it's another really kind of iffy performance from Alan Velasco. You know, I'm, you know, maybe it's the thing where a guy shows up and he does amazing things in games one, and you set an expectation and you that you shouldn't expect. But I'm telling you, I'm there. There are way too many easy turnovers and dispossessions that I was not expecting to see out of this kid. Uh, at this point of the season? Well, uh, I've talked to Coach about him a little bit, and they give him a lot of freedom, uh, Alan, to just do things and try and be creative. And I do like that. I do like that freedom. I, I, I know what you mean about some of the stuff he's doing. A lot of it is, to me, is just like he's just still just a 19-year-old kid. you know. And if you want a guy to be creative and interesting and fascinating, then you have to give him a freedom to be creative and interesting and fascinating. And that includes being stupid and turn the ball over when you shouldn't. You know, There, there are moments... To, to of that you dislike uh, on, on the, you know, but on the same time, he had 19 duels, which was the most for Dallas in that game. Now he only won it at 50% compared to Paxton who had 19 tied him and, and won at 72%. You know, Paxton's a more mature, stable, you know, uh, playing game after game after game kind of player, you know, but in a way you don't, when, when you're talking about it, a forward, the fact that he passed only 55%, the pass that he only won 50% of his duels, all those things are I'm okay with, you know, do you want to see him mature out of them? Of course you do. You'd like to see him get up more like Jesus with his 60% passing and his 60% dual wins. So it's okay. a work in progress for sure. Yeah, for sure. But I'd almost be interested to go back and see what the similar passing and dual percentages were for Obreon prior to Velasco's arrival. Yeah. I don't have that in front of me. We can look it up. Um, I mean, speaking, I mean, that's a guy that's look, frustrated I, too. I, I know that Alan Velasco is a infinitely better soccer player than Javier yeah. Obreon. But for the amount of money he spent and all the hype and everything, and again, this is all about expectation setting and Oscar Perea's favorite thing that he used to preach to us all the time about the time it takes for players to acclimate to this league, especially if they come from South America. It's just something I, and I'm not saying it's, he's terrible or bad. I'm just saying, keep an eye on this part of it. It's the one thing that, you know, late in the game in like the 75th minute, he had a ball one-on-one just to beat one defender at the top of the box. And he was dispossessed so easily. I even made a note of it. 
And I was just like, well, that is really the moment that everybody was that he got that that the that the club spent the money to get him for, and for him to blow it that easily or be dispossessed that easily is a. I, I don't. I kind of feel bad to say this, but it's kind of disappointing. Yeah. That, that particular, that one-on-one attack move that, by the way, Jesus did it sublimely and then his goal was an absolute banger. That's actually something they worked on last week, that idea of running at a single defender and then reading the defense and then wrong-footing them and trying to go one way or the other way. Jesus did it cleanly and then re- just wrecked the guy and Val Velasco didn't. You know, So it's coachability is a thing, right? So they're obviously working with those guys up front with that that specific thing, you know, and if Velasco doesn't respond at some point, you know, maybe, maybe we'll see more Obreon. But on the other hand, I saw somebody today talking about Velasco's valuation jumping to 20 million, you know, after that goal. Well, that's ridiculous. I mean, I know it's ridiculous, but you know, you're talking about hype, you know, and like ball ability and like I can coach him. You remember we always talk about this coaches are like, Oh, I can coach that guy into whatever, you know, they all think that. So, yeah, we're going to see, like, the, the kid definitely needs a more seasoning, a more, um, you know, game, team concept. But at the same time, it's hard to, you know, stifle a guy who's that creative. And I think they're going to give him a ton of freedom to be creative. And they're going to just, they're just going to eat some of those bad possessions just because they're going to get the good ones. Dan, I thought I heard you chiming in there. Uh, it kind of bugs me. Uh, for such a creative player on the dribble, he is straight, very straight run into a player straight. Uh, and that seems to be like most of his giveaways. Never anything... You might see the occasional like really good little s- stab at the ball from a defender running alongside, but half the time it's just... You just stand him up and that's it. Like, uh, you know, you, you look at like when Mauro Diaz would take the ball around six players and, you know, they, they wouldn't know it was there. Um, Velasco just seems a totally different player on the run. Yeah, and again, I, I all the time and expectation setting is all what is required here. I'm just pointing out my, I, the stats match up with the eyeball test in this case, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. I was just quickly looking at successful dribbles on FB Ref, and Velasco's at 35% successful dribbles. Uh, shockingly, Paul Ariola is only on 15%, which I would not have said. That's that's remarkable. But you compare that to Paxson's on seventy five percent and Jesus is on eighty percent. Yeah, you know. But I, then again, well, Velasco tries. He has the most attempted dribbles on the team. So part of what we're, the reason why it jumps out at you is because he's got, you know, so many more than than the other guys. For example, he's at he's at two point three Velasco attempts per game, and Obreon's only at uh, where's where's Obreon? He's at uh, one point five. But yet Obreon's fifty four percent successful. So. You know, there's something to be said for the veteran who knows probably more when to do it, when not to do it. And certainly, like, as we, as we go into this heavy load, I think you're going to see lots of games where those wings are going to be rotated and subbing in and out a lot more frequently. And it'll be interesting to see how Velasco reacts if he does finally not start one, you know, and just in terms of rotation, but or maybe just because he's not getting it done enough. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny you mentioned Areola because I, I feel like we don't spend enough time talking about Paul and his performances this season. And and I think some of that's because we know what to expect out of Areola and his game. And he's been playing pretty much exactly as you expect Paul Areola to play. Um, uh, you know, uh, Velasco is 
this mysterious, mythical, um, unbelievable Argentinian mini Messi that we've all just, you know, got super excited about, especially on the heels of his very first performance for the club that night. That was so amazing. And, and I, and so I, maybe it's unfair to him. It's just something to be kept an eye on. Um, uh, it, it just, uh, it just, it sticks out to me. And I, and I feel like I did everybody a disservice by doing this out of order. Cause the other comment that I wanted to make about the game was about Nico, because I, I, my other frustration with the game in Kansas city was I, I was talking to the television and I, unfortunately, I don't think Nico could hear me until too late, <laughs> which was, Hey, are you considering substituting some good players on the field? Because they look really gas and Kansas city is a terrible team yet. They're putting a ton of pressure on you. And sure enough, the goal comes to tie it up. And then the substitutions came on. And I felt like that was largely Nico's fault. Yeah, it came about 10 minutes too late. I, I thought that there was a um, a moment where I talked about bringing in Edwin and putting him next to Facundo as a double, you know, and, and that didn't happen. <laughs> and shortly after that, they got scored on. So I, I think I, I didn't think to ask him that. I was kind of in a crunch because he had to go to a meeting, but. Um, he probably would tell you that he maybe waited a little long too, longer too, but I'm not really sure. If yeah, I couldn't tell if those guys were up and ready to sub in and it just they the ball didn't go out in time for them to get a sub in before the goal was scored because it happened almost immediately after the goal. Does anybody know on that situation? I don't remember. I, I know that he wasn't real happy with the second half performance in terms of not just because of Brandon got his red card, but just in terms of like dealing with the moment you know, mm -hmm. and getting in good positions. And some of that is like he, an expectation that players are going to recognize the right shape they're in and get in the right responsibilities and the right actions. And I think some of the guys that were in there didn't react correctly, didn't get into the right defensive positions. So, uh, all right. And sorry, again, I apologize. I should have brought all this up. I didn't look at my notes completely uh, before I switched gears, but I am going to bring up one other thing from the game because this now seems to be an ongoing thing for a while, which is Frank O'Hara's incredible miss yet again. He had the header off the crossbar last week that would have really been nice if he had hit, and then he had the unbelievable miss this week, which would have really helped his club. Uh I know that we've been watching him do this for a while, and I know there are things that we've enjoyed about him being kind of a good professional, but at what point <laughs> do we all just kind of throw our hands up in the air and just stop ever expecting him to score a goal that isn't a penalty kick? Well, I'm a lot more worried um, about what happens when Jesus Ferrer leaves. <laughs> you know, I, I can deal with Frank O'Hara being the way he is in the end of games, but if that guy has to start, and if he's not available to start, who the hell's going to start? Is it Benny Redzic? That would be mind blowing. So I, 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 I'm almost like, oh, you know, I, that's my, <laughs> I don't know what to do. You know, it's like, I, don't even, I mean, I'm assuming that Franco's going to start. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. It was a bad miss, wasn't it, Dan? It was. He was. I mean, his his little unlucky with his foot, and it seemed like he didn't anticipate the ball coming to him, tried to adjust, and just fell over it. But. Uh, <laughs> You're a, you're a you're a top flight team in Mexico's leading all times top scorer. You probably should have a little bit more awareness of that situation. All right, sorry, I didn't mean to bring the room back down with all those bad notes and thoughts, but yeah. I do think they were worth talking about from a sure. game that I think we were all frustrated by. All right, so Seattle is coming to town Saturday. The game is at seven thirty. Uh, 
I want to talk about Seattle in a little bit more detail, but why don't you first, uh, Buzz, kind of preview what we should be expecting from Dallas's side of the coin. Yeah, well, Hedges should be back, obviously, since he was you know out for non-injury reasons. I would expect that he'll be playing. Um, and really tired. And really tired. <laughs> Sleepy, probably, but that's fine. He might relish a, a time away. Um, I, I, I don't think anyone's playing well enough to take Martinez out. So that's a no-brainer. Farfan's a no-brainer. Obviously, Ima and Nanu is kind of a heads-up battle. I thought Ima played fairly well. But, you know, when you got three games in a week, you know, this might be a good opportunity to put Nano back in there perhaps, um, you know, or let Ima go again and then then Nano gets the next game, you know, the Open Cup game or vice Mm -hmm. versa. Yeah, obviously, um, Cervania's out. So that's the big question. I'm I'm 99% sure that Siki will start again. Uh, when I watch training rotations, I don't see um, I see Siki used at a high, much higher volume than the other options, which are Thomas Roberts, who just got back, and and Khalil El Makur, who plays as an eight some now too, to give them some options. Neither one of those guys, I don't think, is 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 ready to be starting under this coach. So I'm sure it'll be Siki, and I'm sure it'll be Brandon. But that does mean that almost certainly. Thomas and or Khalil both will need to be on the bench and almost certainly one of them or both of them might get into the game because they're, they're really heavily managing the workload on these eights because of the amount of work that they do. Uh, that includes Paxton who had a great, amazing first half and a not very good second half against Seattle. Mm-hmm. You know, you mean Kansas city? I'm sorry against Kansas city. Uh, yes. Um, and then, and, you know, and we'll see them again on Tuesday. Uh, and the front's obvious. The front's going to be Velasco, Ariel, and Jesus. It's not going to change. You know, the Open Cup maybe you might see a little variety, but um, for the most part, this this coach is managing minutes and workload by subbing, not not changing a starting eleven. Other than the Nano Ima one, and then the last one, the one that's the big question is the Edwin versus Faco. Coach said Ed, he thought Faco was fantastic. You know, I I, I tend to think that it, it being a home game that you might go back to Edwin, you know, but considering you got a cup game again on Tuesday, I mean, who knows what he's going to do. This coach is giving me fits in terms of being able to predict his rotations. You know, I know those two guys are the choices. Everything about it says it should be back to Edwin, but, you know, given how good he thought Faco played, and maybe it'll be Faco against Seattle. Now they're missing uh, Jao Paulo, who may have torn his ACL apparently, um, I don't know the officially, but that's kind of the rumor I heard. And then know who's the left back was, I guess, going to be out too. Morris got rocked and looked really slow. So they might be looking to heavily rotate. considering they just won a Champions League game, the title on Wednesday night. And then and now they got to play again on Saturday. Talk about a Champions League hangover. So this might be the perfect time to play them because they may have to put a bunch of dudes in there that aren't really up for the start, but they're pretty good. So. You know. Yeah, I enjoyed Dustin's, uh, Crispin's uh, comment on the Discord. He said, uh, we should all welcome the Tacoma Defiance <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> on Saturday <laughs> for Seattle starting 11, because that would, yeah, I, I mean, I, I will, I, it will be very interesting to see what Smetzer puts out for an 11 after after what happened last night, which was, uh, frankly, quite amazing. I mean, given Siki's got to go, you know, it, it makes sense that he would go with what he considers his best 11, with the possible exception of Faku over Edwin, because because Siki's a rookie, maybe Faku's veteranness in there is the right idea. So that's that's kind of where the big question marks are with that midfield and what's going to roll out there. Did Paxton play the full 90? 
I think so. Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah so I, yep. Yeah, it. Man, I wonder if Paxton. I mean, I know he needs him to start in this game. Yeah. But if Seattle, if there's a sense that Seattle's going to throw out a really reduced lineup, I wonder if Paxton doesn't get the start and he and he throws out a Faco, Cerio, and Zebling kind of lineup. Well, the only time we you might see um, that look, I, I have not seen him use Faco or Evelyn as an eight. Like they've gone double pivot with area uh, Velasco as a ten. That's very viable. Very possible. Um, you know, O'Brien comes in at left wing. Ariel is underneath Jesus. And, and, hmm. and um, sorry, Velasco underneath Jesus is a 10 with a double holding mids or, or a 6-8 combo underneath him. That's something they've worked on a lot. We haven't seen it this week, but um, that's a lot more viable than putting the same 4-3-3 with a double 8 look and using Edwin or Faco as an 8. That doesn't track as well for me and it uh since we mentioned him earlier and the club did officially announce the termination of the loan to the austrian club thomas roberts is back uh and as you said he may make the bench this weekend he is available any yeah. uh training sorry Peter, who oh, did yeah. you say thomas roberts thomas thomas roberts, roberts. sorry <laughs> yeah thomas i mean looks great he's he's i think i said this last week he's massively increased his range and his pressing two things that are really important with this team. The coach then also very specifically this week mentioned that he's still working the Thomas needs to work on his defensive game still. So um, if Brandon wasn't suspended, then Thomas would not make the bench yet, but because mm. Brandon's suspended, that means Siki has to start. And that means you need probably both him and Khalil available to potentially spell both Paxson and Siki. So um, I think there's a good chance he does make the bench, but yeah, he's not yet into the rotation. Really. Thomas isn't, he's only been here really for, two weeks and the first week was not a good week for training because they had a midweek game and you didn't really get to do much. Okay. So Seattle is here Saturday at seven 30. Uh, but don't forget as buzz mentioned, uh, they do have to go back to Kansas city on Tuesday for their fourth or fifth round open cup game. I can't remember fourth. which round there. fourth yeah. round open cup game. So yay. Open cup. All right. So last night, some incredible scenes on Fox sports one up in Seattle, uh, on their NFL stadium, 68,000 people. What an effective campaign Seattle put together uh, to really hype up this game, to go from a 40,000 kind of attendance to selling that place out. I don't know if either one of you are aware at the lengths in which the front office went to to you know, uh, really get to the point of pushing this thing into a sold-out NFL-sized stadium. But Seattle did do it. They are the first MLS team to win CONCACAF Champions League, beating Pumas last night 3-0 in a in a really uh, remarkable performance considering that within the first 30 minutes, they lost two critical starting veterans, including Yao Paulo, as you mentioned earlier, and he, they may have lost him for the season. But to throw out, I couldn't believe they threw out a 16-year-old Academy product to fill his spot but I'll be damned if that little kid didn't go out there and uh, show his worth and his uh, and his skill sets over the course of that the rest of that game, Buzz. Yeah, if you're old enough, you're good enough. Wait, that's backwards. If you're good enough, you're old enough. I gotta get that right. That's <laughs> Mike Renshaw's specialty. Uh, yeah, look, soccer's a young man's game, as those guys also used to say all the time. You know, Jao Paulo is quite old, but he is a spectacular player, and for the guy to get out there and fill his shoes is remarkable. Particularly because um, Pumas is was he using... is he twice the age of yeah, Vargas? 
but Jean Paul's thirty four, I think. So he's more than Tony yeah. Sparks' age. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. 32, 34, whatever. It's, uh, yeah, you make the valid point. And, and, and what I was going to say was Pumas uh, went with the Rapids 2010 MLS Cup strategy of just fouling the tar out of the other team. Uh, they had just some astronomical number of fouls in that game, which I thought I was amazed by. I was like, Pumas is a better, I mean, I know Pumas isn't considered like one of the great Mexican teams right now, but they beat enough good teams to get to that point. They must be pretty decent. They certainly look like they had lots of skill on their team. And yet they went with this hack-a-shack trying to thug the Seattle out of the game, which I thought was really weird um, when you needed some goals, you know, at least one goal. Maybe you're trying to kill the game completely, I suppose, but certainly once Seattle scored, you had to go for it. Uh, I just was a weird choices on Pumas's part, in my opinion. Yeah. I, you know, it was such a, it was so, it was fun to watch last night as yeah, you know, Buzz, you and I are day one MLS fans and I know this. some people are going to be rubbed wrong by this, but I was incredibly proud of that moment. And I have nothing but just the deepest respect for that club in Seattle for being able to pull that off and, to, and, and not just pulling off and winning Champions League, but to do it in front of a crowd like that in those scenes, which is all of the things that we I think every MLS club hopes and wishes their atmospheres could be like. It was really, really uh, uh, tremendous last night. It was, that was a, a fantastic result uh, for this league and specifically for fans of that club. Yeah, their roster is so well built. Uh, you know, the, so there's only been one or two other times in, in Champions League history where I haven't felt like the MLS team was just completely outclassed. And I don't mean just in the final. I mean, like through the whole thing. And and so many times that Dallas gets just not Dallas, everybody that goes to yeah. the, the thing gets out gamed, shipped out shenaniganed, outplayed, out just dominated. And it was so nice to just see a team that could, and there's been other teams, the Toronto team a couple of years ago was pretty good too, but it was just so nice to see a team that like could compete all over the field and was just up for it all over the field and had just as good players all over the field. That was super awesome. And I just hope it's the tip of the iceberg with, Major League Soccer and other teams, I hope, because LAFC is pretty dang good and Seattle's pretty dang good right now. And you hope that the rest of the league can come up to that level. Uh, I think Dallas is trying to for the first time ever. They're spending a minimum. They're trying to drag their roster up that way. And I did a thing the other day about how good the roster is top to bottom, like the difference between now and the beginning of the league where you had the beginning league, there were five guys that can play if you were lucky. And now the whole roster can play. It really is just look great to see. And, you know, we're sort of halfway to where I think this league can be. Um, and I'm hoping that Dow- we can see Dallas begin to play at these upper echelons of the league. It's going to be exciting. Well, just so everybody doesn't think that I've used up all my lotion for the Seattle Sounders, uh, I want to refresh everybody because there's so many people here that are new to the league and new to the team. Uh, Carlos Alvarado tweeted out and reminded everybody that it was FC Dallas when it was coached by Shellis Hyman, which was the first MLS team to defeat a Mexican Liga MX team way back in like tw- uh, 2000. Down in Mexico, yeah. Yeah, uh, down in Mexico. Down what, in 2008, 2009, somewhere in there? I can't remember the year that happened. Uh, something like that against Pumas also. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, when you talk about MLS establishing its place uh, and, uh, you know, trying to compete against League MX, Dallas was the first team to ever win a Champions League game in Mexico or a competitive game in Mexico. Uh, and and if you're a fan of this club, you should at least uh, take some pride in that. Now, I also, Buzz, feel like I need to uh, 
provide an opportunity for counterpoint because um, a big fan, well, first off, a fan of both this podcast and of the club, the very brash uh, 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 cousin Deke uh, sent me a text today and expressed some opinion about this. He he said, uh, since uh, everybody's giving Seattle the hand job for winning the Champions League, please pass along that beating a team that's 12th in Mexico and had to get past the New England Revolution and PKs, no less, to make it to the finals doesn't mean as much as everyone's making it out to be because uh, I'm biased, I hate Seattle, but really, it ain't like they beat Tigris or Pachuca. And then he added, P.S., and again, screw Seattle, assholes. So there's the opposing viewpoint of anybody who is not excited <laughs> from the rather colorful uh, Navy-languaged Cousin Deke. Yeah, I mean, you, you play who you play, right? You, you play against who you get assigned to, and you, you beat who you beat, and then you beat who they brought. You know, the bottom line is that they won their way through to the finals, and Pumas won their way through the finals, and they beat them. You know, it's like, I know you could say maybe this wasn't as good of a team, but some of the teams Seattle beat probably were pretty good teams. And that's the whole point, right? Is that MLS is progressing and catching up to Liga MX. Are they overall better than Liga MX? No, but the gap is shrinking and they're getting better. And this is the first team that won the whole thing. And if Liga MX is down and the teams that are in the Champions League are down, well, that's all part of that, isn't it? You know, and so I, I don't give a toss about things like, like, the fact that Pumas wasn't a great team, you know, as, as, as we've seen in the past, that may be true, but that's who was there and they won their way to that point, you know? And so congrats to Seattle. I don't, I don't buy any of that garbage. Yeah. Leicester city won the premier league in the most fantastic uh, way, but what people don't remember and don't need to remember is that that was also a really, really odd season where the big clubs were just ha- all collectively at the same time, simultaneously having a crap season. So, uh, and, but that doesn't mean it. I mean, Leicester deserved it and they won it and it's a great story. And so is Seattle as the first major league soccer team to win CONCACAF champions. Uh, league. So congratulations to them. Hopefully they are still partying and hungover by the time they show up at uh, Toyota Stadium on Saturday. Now, speaking of which, Mr. Buzz, today you dropped a interview slash story that caught everybody's attention and I, you got to hang out and ask some questions to one Mr. Daniel Hunt, who had some uh, interesting and enterprising things to say about the state of Toyota Stadium. Yeah, well, he basically um, said what they have probably said before, but have articulated, you know, more commonly recently, which was that the stadium needs some upgrades and they know it needs upgrades. Um, We talked about he mentioned the East Stands uh, straight out as being an area. We've heard a lot of behind the scenes chatter about what they plan is to do over there. And it's a pretty big plan. Um, We don't have any real concrete details, but the chatter is remarkable. And he talked a lot about the stage and how he and the club know the stage is not good uh, and what they want to try and do to make it better. And that it's not ideal for where they are now and the business model now and and the changes they want to make to it. Uh, And, and I I think most of it is really positive. Now there's some people though, obviously that push back on this idea, like they've always said this, well, yeah, they have said things similar to this, but these things take a long time to get going. The city's involved you know, and, and the, the changes we've seen in the club are 
are starting to come to fruition. Like we're seeing some activity on the stage. You know, we've seen this new thing brought in. So the other things that he's talking about, you know, the lowering of the profile on the stage are things that we've talked about as potentially good ideas, trying to make that stage a viable part of presentation and usage of the game. He's mentioned, he's mentioned developing more concessions and, and restrooms over in that area, which implies that there'll be fans over in that area. You know, and he's mentioning redoing of the East stands and trying to solve those issues. So, you know, there's not, there's nothing in it. That's like a groundbreaking, like, Oh my God, I can't believe he said that. It's just that it's, it's a continued point of emphasis and he's mentioning the, the development of plans. And he said that they're in the, you know, the architecture work and ideas development planning stage of all these things. So it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to be next season. But uh, there's a whole lot going on behind the scenes in terms of what might could change on that stadium. You know, and of course, people get riled up that they're not playing downtown, but, you know, that's they're not going to. So just get over that. Yeah, I don't know if playing downtown is a solution for anybody, although in the back of my head it'd be I had this uh, thought today when I was reading your article. What if, you know, the construction plans for Toyota Stadium are so vast and complex that they have to uh move out of the stadium for a season to get it done and they had to go back to the Cotton Bowl? That'd be fun, but that feels a little tore up. I mean, nobody takes care of that thing anymore. Yeah, that's like I was true. down there the other day for Dallas Cup, and the thing looked ragged. It's not like it was when Dallas was a tenant. You no, know? it's not the putting green or the fine no. Persian carpet it used to be back in the day, the great old Dallas burn days. Well, it, as many people that would be excited if they were playing at the Cotton Bowl, there'd be just as many people that are pissed off because they're playing at the really dangerous Cotton Bowl. It wouldn't go, so it would mean nothing in terms of attendance. Well, I did. The only thing I, I was glad to see uh, Dan uh, admit to the problems at the stadium and expressed at least some concern and urgency in finding ways to correct it. And, you know, hell, they fixed the south end of the stadium. Maybe they'll do the same for the, the east and the north ends of the stadium as well. But I will strongly disagree. In fact, I can't put a, any kind of measure on how much I disagree with him about the movement of the supporters groups to the southwest corner. I, that is a move that I dislike totally. I know there are fans uh, that like it. I just don't like it, and I disagree with him. Uh, that that I don't think that's been an overall positive, but that's just me. Yeah, I don't really – I'm not in the supporters' culture, so I can't answer for them. And I honestly my, – my stance on whether they're going to be – they should be on the north end or the south end is like I honestly don't care. <laughs> my, my issues with the north side are usability and involvement in game day presentation, not should it be supporters on the north or the south. I mean that – but. But that was the only ounce of atmosphere in the stadium where the where and again my concerns about this in no way are reflective of the supporters groups that I the supporter group which I think has been great, but they were way more effective and way more visible and way more part of the game when they were on the in the beer garden than they are now in the southwest yeah, well, corner. I'll push back against that. In the stadium, they're just as visible and just as noisy. Now on TV, they're not. See, I, don't, I disagree the with you, man. Terrible. I, I think it's I, great. I, I when I when I sit on the west side of the stadium, they are completely missing from the game. And when you sit on the east side, yeah, you can see them, but you can only see them from the east side of the stadium. When you're on the west side of the stadium, they're just you just miss them. When they were in the north end and in the on the stage, they were center and focused, and they were the 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 generator of all the atmosphere. And they're not now. Uh, but 
That's yeah. just my opinion. I mean, I hear you. I just disagree with you on this one. I mean, Where have you I been sitting? Don't care. I, on the west side, like I always do. Hmm. You know, I even move down closer, and I usually sit a little further more towards the north. And I think they've been. I can hear them. I can see them. I think they're great. The only thing they don't have is the big cable that runs the TIFO up to the top. You know, I mean, honestly, I don't. I, I like the fact that they're near the players. I like the fact that they're in a tunnel. I mean, I, I I hear what you're saying, and I thought they were just as good on the north. That's why I don't care. I mean, they can sit either way. It doesn't bother me. I mean, Dan Hunt clearly likes them on the south. I don't think there's any difference. I mean, I wish they were on the more TV visible. That's what I care about. Well, here's here's the here's the byproduct of the move, which is you may you may feel like it's no different, but we can agree that now because they're not on the stage, the stage is a huge eyesore. Oh yeah, no, no that's yeah, that's fundamentally true. Yeah, but okay. it already was. It already was a mess. It's just now it's even more of an eyesore. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly don't think that you're anywhere close to the final result given what dan was talking about dan hunt you know the the ideas that he's floating in that article are large expenditures those are not small expenditures like reducing the profile and adding concessions and restrooms on the north end is a big undertaking like doing something on the east side enough to actually make a difference is a massive expensive undertaking oh you're talking about a hundred million dollars combined that's just my total complete guess but you know, oh, I've, uh, I, I don't, and I don't know what specifically he's told you, but I have off and on over the course of the last, I don't know, year, uh, it feels like, uh, heard, uh, bits and pieces and rumors and, uh, snippets of ideas that have been floated around that I was like, really, they're going to go that far. I mean, I've literally heard a story where they're talking about essentially tearing down the entire East side of the stadium and rebuilding it. Like they did the South end of the, the, yeah. the South end of the stadium. Oh, he also mentioned a bunch about, um, building infrastructure in the areas around the stadium that they control to help build more atmosphere, like outside and in, in, in the oh, area yeah. of the city. Yeah. I mean, I've heard that are, too. Those over are, there on the east side, that where all yeah. that open parking lot over in that empty lot on the other side of whatever that yeah. street is. Yeah, I've heard that too. Yeah, this is, I've heard this all is that not stuff. like we're going to spend two million. These are these are massive, massive amounts of money he's talking about. These ideas. So like the idea that like it's going to oh why can't they do this that man this is a hundred million dollars. I'm guessing that they're talking about spending. Oh, I, that's that's crazy. I bet it's more than that based yeah. on all the different things I've heard. And I'm sure that comes with a lot of investment from the city and the school district and other investors and stuff. But again, I, I say this as a joke, but I, I also say it dead seriously. I can totally see the day where the general media and soccer uh, soccer collective all sit around and praise the hunts, Lamar in particular, for having the vision and foresight for sticking his soccer-specific stadium out in the suburbs when everybody wanted them in the downtown area, although that isn't the correct timing. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a time, there's a place in the future where everybody's like, man, that Dallas club sure was smart to stick that thing out there. Look where it is now and how well it's doing. Yeah. Dan, where are you on the north and south end fan thing? Um. I don't like it. I no. I, I think the ideal scenario for me, the ideal scenario all along was to stick the supporters section on the east side, constantly visible. You get that kind of vertical um, part. The the big problem with the beer garden, people talk about. Oh, it's but it's louder now. Uh, it is. It's got half as many people in it, and it's and it's louder because you had like five rows that that span the entire width of the field, or you can have this little wedge section that stacks everyone on top of each other and amplifies the voices. It makes it easier to lead chants, to join in chants. 
Whereas before you would have this like little group on the left that did some stuff, a, a mass in the middle that just kind of couldn't hear anyone, so they didn't do anything, and then people on the right doing their own thing. Well, that seems like an organizational issue for me, and I don't disagree with what you're saying, but I, I, I yeah, I still so, feel very strongly they were better on the north end. I, I, I agree, and I think the honest, uh, the 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 best play would be. Those uh, fifty dollar all you can eat seats aren't selling that well. In the uh, in the south end, so why not uh, why not put the supporters groups in the center of that, and then you can have your your all you can eat seats around that, still make your money. The other thing I've mentioned before that I would do is I would flip the TV cameras, and I'd put them on the east side and point them at the west side. You know when Luton did that a couple of years ago, it made such a difference because our stadium has like. Suites on one side after Millwall fans knocked the existing stand down in the 80s. That sounds weird in itself. Um, and we have this giant main stand on the opposite side. So you, it always used to be, the running joke was you had this really high camera angle from the stand, but you were looking at these things that look like beach huts. And then they, they built a scaffold on top of that, they flipped it around, and now it actually looks like a proper stadium on TV. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I have a feeling that whatever it is, it's not going to happen for some time. It's not like, I, you know, this is going to happen no. for 2025 or anything like that. It's, uh, you know, it may be a race between when does Dallas get their big stadium upgrade and when does NYCFC get their st- – oh, it'll totally happen before there's a five-borough stadium. No yeah, I mean, it. <laughs> it's definitely in the stages of planning. I mean, he specifically mentioned architecture stage, you know, so, I mean – Look, it's progressing. There are probably things that have to happen on the sponsorship and the money side and maybe for all I know, city, county, whatever side. But, you know, it, it, look, this after the interview was over, he specifically asked me like what I thought about the change of direction in the club. They're, they're 100% is a complete change of the way they're doing things across the board. And if one of the things that ends up coming to fruition is some massive improvements to the stadium, which it definitely needs, and he says it definitely needs, you know, if that's one of the new things along with the new marketing spend and the new marketing VP and the new spend on players, I mean, it's just another way that this club is heading in a really positive direction. And I think we have to give them a certain amount of credit for that, even if it's not exactly what everybody wants. I know some people want it to be in mid-cities or downtown or whatever. And like we always say, it's only far (sighs) for you. It's not, I mean, there's plenty of people in North to Dallas to come to this place and go to these games. And if they're, if, and it's only going to get more and more so over the next 20 years. So I, you know, I applaud their attempt to drag this thing in the right direction. And if they're going to spend $150 million on improving the stadium, then hell yeah, let's do it. Man, I don't want to get into the whole location thing again. But if, but, but I will say this: if you are a listener to this and you are pissed off that it's in Frisco and don't think that's a good location, or you have a friend that tells you it's a crummy location, send me a direct message on Twitter, and I will share with you the spreadsheet that explains to you why and compares the location of Frisco, the stadium in Frisco, to Atlanta, to San Jose, to Portland, to Seattle, and a whole bunch of other MLS stadiums, and why there's essentially more people within a 30 mile radius of that of Dallas's stadium than there are those places and those people sell out their stadiums all the time I will be happy to share that with anybody at any time yeah there was a guy on Twitter the other day that tweeted that he drives two hours every game 
to see after Dallas play. It's a, it is he doesn't a product care. problem, not a yeah. location problem. If if you love it, then it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't stink if you live in Fort Worth and it's so far away. Sure, it stinks. But if you love soccer, this is your pro team. Then you don't care. I drive an, from Arlington an hour each way every time I'm going to practice. Yeah, and I don't. You don't hear me complain that oh, I wish they'd play it in the at, at Globe Life or whatever. That's, that's ridiculous. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring it up. My apologies. No, it's just I listen. I, I, I if I'm a billionaire, do I want to play downtown? Yes, of course I do. But that's not my team. It's where it is. If you love the game, get your ass out there and support the team. Hmm. Ultimately, it's uh, it's it's personal value. It's not like the yeah, location is is totally subjective. Am I going to drive from Richardson to Arlington for? North Texas SC against some god-awful MLS Next Pro team? Probably not. If FC Dallas played a game out there, am I going to drive? Yeah. That's what it comes down to. People blaming location is just you don't really care enough to watch the product and you're deflecting the issue. It's because a lot of people that don't live up there don't just really have an understanding of just how many people there are within a rel- within a reasonable radius of its location. And it only gets incrementally more every year. The number of people that have moved into that space is like in the top three in the country. It's insane. So there's a reason why the Dallas Cowboys built their headquarters a mile south of there. Yeah. There's a reason why FedEx put their national headquarters and Toyota put their national headquarters within five miles of that location i mean your tour of america is moving their whole headquarters there too yes i i just like everybody just i mean because i know what's going to come out of this conversation was like they shouldn't spend money to rebuild that they should go build a new stadium in arlington or downtown dallas or whatever and that's never going to happen i used to and it doesn't need to i used to live in downtown dallas and i would go to practice just like i do now and it was less than 30 minutes door to door from downtown dallas straight up the tallway it's a piece of cake all right I'm sorry. We've beat that dead horse way too many times. All right. Dan, do you got anything else? Because we've gone way too long. Yeah, MPSL starts this weekend. Yay. Yeah, Peter doesn't care, but I care. I think it's cool. Denton Diablo's <laughs> uh, have Irving FC up at UNT, and then uh, Fort Worth Fakeros get to go to uh, in another El Hichico ah. to uh, Lubbock Matadors. It's the debut of the Lubbock Matadors. That's yeah. right, my yeah. college town team. Okay, and I. By the way, I love that El Hichico. El Hichico. How <laughs> many? How many NPSL teams is he now attached to? Uh, All of them. Four. Denton, Fort Worth, Lubbock, and Napa Valley in California. And uh, Appalachian. Uh, oh, five. Yeah, five. Yep. Crazy. And a team in England. That's not part of NPSL though. Amazing and the stuff. And the outlaws. Oh, that's right. Yes, he's got his all of his yeah. fingers and something. Hey, another. whatever. He's helping support local soccer. Good for him. Hello, this is Scott Humphrey again, reminding you that Third Degree of the Podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90, your source for FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. Check out the new arrivals dropping daily. Gear from leagues around the world, Fresh Serie A, Premier League, Bundesliga, and of course, MLS and FC Dallas club merch available now. Remember, Third Degree listeners get 20% off at Soccer90.com with promo code Third Degree. Some exclusions may apply. All right. Seattle comes to town with their big old Champions League trophy on Saturday, 730. I hope everybody enjoys that game. Dan, thank you for your help today. Thank you. Thank you, Buzz, for all your good insights, sir. Oh, you're welcome. 
And thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan. We'll speak to you next week after not one, but two games on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Thomas Robbins hat trick. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. 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 Thank you.